In a world of bus schedules and business calls, sidestep into a realm of Koigyu casting in Klingons. Okay, people, get your geek on. Welcome to episode two of Knit One Geek Two. I'm Karen. And I'm Maggie. And we're podcasting from inside the room of requirement this week. Because <laughs> there would be no other place to have it. This is going to be a very hairy episode. Yeah. But before we get to all that, how about we start off with adventures in knitting for this week? Well, first off, I finished the cowl. The three needle bind off actually did happen. Yes, I have, still have to sew in the little ends, but what the heck? It's finished, finished. This is the alpaca cowl we were yes. discussing. Oh, and still soft. And pretty and cable And stretchy. Quite stretchy for cables, actually. You must have knit this on huge. Yeah, that, the needles are huge. But it yeah. was a relaxing brain knit. Yeah, I can see where it would be. Because just to describe it to everybody. It's basically three cables and little rib in between. And the cables are really big. Like, it yeah. looks like they cross, like, what? Once every, like, 12 rows? Yes. So, yeah, that's a pretty... It's pretty much, like, it's ribbing for most of the... Most. It's TV knitting. <laughs> and, and TV knitting is always good. You're only knitting... You knit it for about, what, 10 to 15 rows? Oh, my gosh, look at all the inches that, you know, I've managed to accumulate. Yeah, this is the especially nice thing about bulky yarn. Yeah. Unfortunately, bulky yarn does not look so good on bulky people like me. <laughs> well, this is going on to an extremely slender gentleman. And it's a cowl. I mean, it's yeah. not a sweater. Also, my color stranded work uh, knitting. Mit- knitting. Mitten. You're knitting mitten? That there mitten. I've got a thumb and I've just fingertips to do. Ooh. It's gone pretty far. I did have to frog about 12 rows. Oh. Which in color stranded work. Oh, God, yes. Sucks. Yeah, it totally can... sucks balls. Oh god, yes. I think I've had to do that before and it's not even like you can really like work the needle into the stitches on the row you want to rip down to. I know. Yeah, oh, that, that's that, painful. That that was a real lesson in remembering to read the pattern very clearly and make mm-hmm. sure you have it understood in your head cuz I'm knitting and knitting and going, "Wow, this thumb gusset just ain't happening." Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. So did you forget to start? The I thumb forgot gusset? I to basically the the thumb gusset just kept growing and growing and growing, but never actually sealing off. And that's the point I had to go back to. Anyway, so that was a lesson learned, mm-hmm. and um, it, it's almost finished. That one mitten is almost finished, and I think when that one mitten is done, I may do some other brainless knitting for a little yes. while before going to the other mitten. Yeah, you know, sometimes I had, you need a break. <laughs> I had this this lunatic idea. I have many lunatics ideas, and some of them are even helped with NyQuil. Oh, God, the infamous NyQuil yeah, the infamous. ideas. Me on NyQuil equals really crazy bad ideas that I'm <laughs> sure I could do these. I, I'm sure I can knit myself a rocket to go and visit Jupiter Yeah, you know, before 3 a.m. in the morning. I'm sure I can do that. Yeah, when you were on NyQuil, you were a crafting superwoman. I, I really don't know how to respond to that because at the time I was I was really grasping at straws because I was so doped up I could not go out to the store to get ingredients or get uh, supplies or even go out to buy a pattern in a magazine. I had to make do with what I could find on the internet and what I had in the house, and that generates some real ingenuity mm-hmm. when you're missing certain things. 
Yeah, we should mention this is a reference to the infamous NyQuil Easter incident. Yeah. I had full-fledged flu, and I was on NyQuil, and Knit Night, Passover, and Easter all happened on one day. It was like... One like, week. I decided in a fit of delusion that I could make everybody homemade Easter baskets in the space of 12 hours while being lodged at home, doped up to my eyebrows on yeah. NyQuil. And Including. I did it. I have no idea what aliens helped me, but I did it. Including home-baked cookies and small stuffed animals that yep. you sewed yourself yep. out that. of fabric scraps that yep. you had. Making that sheep was bonkers. So anyways, um, yeah, my delusional idea for Christmas was to make everybody mittens and fill the mittens with little goodies. Mm-hmm. And after the first color work mitten, you know what? Everybody else is getting single color work mittens this year. <laughs> you know, you might get some cabling in it or, you know, some... Some bobbles or some ribbing or something like that, but uh, yeah. Were you going to make everyone like a single mitten or a pair of mittens? Cause no, I know pair you... of mittens. Okay, because I know you have a lot of relatives that don't live anywhere near cold areas. Yeah, they weren't like, getting mittens. If it's 70 degrees Fahrenheit, yeah. it's freezing Yeah, for they, them. they get cold. My, my family lives in the Caribbean. My, you know, my parents are still there. So for them, if it gets below 70 degrees Fahrenheit, yeah, the entire country cancels school and, you know, don't go out <laughs> on the roads because people are driving like it's Armageddon. Everybody puts on big, woolly parkas and sweaters and the Ugg boots with the fur around, trim on the top, and, you know, literally, they act as if a blizzard is coming down. Even when there's no precipitation whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. Like, not even rain. Yeah, and the tourists are walking around, you know, still with sunburn and baseball Shorts caps. and being like, wow, this is so much nicer than home. Yeah. No, the tropical crowd is not getting mittens because I don't think they'd be used that often. No. Um, this is for various uh, family members that are out and about in other parts of the world. They're getting, they're still going to get mittens. They're just not, only one person is going to get color stranded mittens. And one person's getting special mittens. One person's getting special mittens, and if you can call that short bus special, you can call that <laughs> whatever kind of special you like. I feel like the end of these mittens, I'm going to be riding the short bus. Oh, I don't blame you. <laughs> okay, and I haven't touched the shawl this week. I still need a bit of working up to get back to that shawl. Yeah, I can see why. Especially when I actually looked it up last week to link it on the show notes. <laughs> I was like... Oh, damn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's one of those things, like, I did this huge-ass shawl a couple years ago, which basically you just do a row or two yep. every once in a while, and eventually they all add up. Now, is this another Christmas gift, or is it just a... No, it's just a gift gift, and it's gift, when gift? it okay. gets done. Does the person know about the gift gift? Yes. Okay. I actually, two of my best friends from university days, two of my best girlfriends, um, and I don't want that to be misinterpreted as girl-on-girl action, they're just <laughs> some of my best friends who happen to be female, okay? If you want to have your mind in the gutter, fine, do whatever you like. I told both of them that I would want to make them something special, and I wanted to make them prayer shawls. I've made each of them a quilt. I wanted to make them prayer shawls, and I wanted it to have their personality into it. And I don't want to spend all of this time, because we we all know how long it takes to make a shawl. This mm-hmm. is not something you whip out over a weekend. I don't want to make them something and have them look at it and say, oh, it's fantastic, thank you, and then it not be worn because 
yeah. it's inappropriate for either their environment, their work, their wardrobe, their wardrobe, not their favorite color. Suddenly, their they lifestyle. Have, they have a revulsion to the color that I chose, or their lifestyle, depending on. So I had them fill out a questionnaire, basically to <laughs> okay, do you want a shawl that actually keeps you warm? Do you want it to be fluffy and woolly? Do you want it to have pockets? Because some shawls and stoles do that. Do you want it to be lacy and have a little bit of a story behind the pattern work? Do you want it to be representative of, you know, your ancestors and where your family came from, etc., etc. And oh yeah, what color do you want it? And from the answers that they gave me, I gave them a choice of two to three patterns, and they chose the patterns. The okay. one last year was a uh, the sunflower shawl done in the golden orange and oh, yellow yes. that I got, and it turned out very. It was huge. It was yeah, enormous. that thing was enormous, but it was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome, and I was really, really proud of it. And now I'm doing the, the Celtic Network stole. And I estimate that will be huge, too. <laughs> it is in royal blue, and yes, it is still in progress. So let's not talk about it anymore. <laughs> As okay. I was going to say a minute ago, like when I asked if they knew about the gift, yeah. sometimes if people don't know about the gift, that can kind of be a good thing because they're not wondering Expecting. where it is. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, like you still have to have the yeah. precautions of knowing that they're going to want that item, want that type of item, like the color, that sort right. of thing. And I did tell them, because I think I sent them the questionnaire for it about two years ago. So I did tell them, look, this isn't going to come soon. This is actually going to be over the next few years because I have other things that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But this is a pro these are projects that I want to make for you guys. So they're completely in understanding. And I honestly think that they forgot all about it until I start bringing it up again. Saying, <laughs> oh, hi, I was working on your show this weekend. And I'm like, oh, I forgot all about that. I'm like, okay, that's all right. And eventually, when you actually send it to them, maybe they'll have forgotten again, and all of a sudden it'll be this surprise. Yeah, it's kind of like Christmas all over again. Christmas during any time of the year. Just like Charles Dickens says, keep Christmas in your heart the whole year. <laughs> and it's what I do, damn it. Okay, so, you're knitting. Oh, God. Okay, well, I was thinking of leading up to this, but I figured I have to mention this first, because otherwise, you know, what I say will give it away. So... I finished the stole! Holy crap, she did. I actually, I think I started the edging for it on Monday or Tuesday, I can't remember. And Tuesday night, I actually stayed up till two in the morning working on it. Well, partly because I needed the time, but also because, I mean, I work from 12 to 8 on Tuesdays. Right. I had Wednesday off. And so the problem is, when I get home on Tuesday, I get home at 8.30. Sometimes I don't eat dinner until 9. So you need time to wind down. Yeah. So at midnight, I'm not tired. <laughs> So I stayed up, and I watched movies, and... You hit a knitting groove. Yes. I hit a big knitting groove. I actually watched an episode of 24, because as I posted on my Twitter and my Plurk at the time, I'm running out of time! I yeah. have 24 hours left to finish this thing before it needs to block. Finished the edging on Wednesday. I started sewing it on. I did a lot of sewing on of the second edging at knit night on Wednesday, which yep. was a very hairy knit night. <laughs> and we met at the local bookstore here. They were holding a Harry Potter theme night, and we saw everything from four-year-old wizards to 40-year-old wizards. Oh, God. There was, like, a two-year-old dressed so as Hogwarts student. So cute. With the cape flying behind him? Was that yes. the one? Yes. And a little tie. And I got pictures of some of the boys with the dark mark painted on their arms. Yes. They had a face painting station. And as we were going by it, I could hear one of the people yelling out, Does anyone else here want a dark mark? I think a lot of people <laughs> were getting a dark mark. 
I wonder how many people actually got that tattooed for real on their arms. I wonder. I'm, I totally would. There are people, people out there that would be that into the whole genre, and especially considering you know if you just get it tattooed on there, it's not like you can actually summon the Dark Lord by touching it. But yes, so the stole is finished. I blocked it Wednesday night. I ran home after work on Thursday, unpinned it, woven the ends on my way to the movie theater to see Harry Potter. As is appropriate. That that is something that is so appropriate. On when you have a deadline for a project, you have to be weaving in the ends on the way to the deadline. It's like Rhinebeck. Yes. And everybody's Rhinebeck sweater sweaters. Everyone's blocking them in their hotel rooms and <laughs> weaving in the ends as they drive to the fairgrounds. But yes, it's done, and I actually wore it during the movie. And it's huge. How long, how, do you know how long it is? I still haven't measured it. It's easily it's six like, feet. Yeah, it's got to be at least six and a half feet. Which means that when I wear it over my shoulders, especially if I'm sitting down and I've got my arms at the front, my entire arm is covered. So I can put it on, like I'm putting it on right now, and actually the tips of the edgings are about at my knuckles. Which is really nice, because then when you're sitting... Your entire arm. It looks like the lacy sleeves. Yeah. Or if I'm standing and you've got your arms at the sides, because one thing I've found with some shawls is that they're really huge, and then I put them on, and when my arms are down, they only go down to like so elbows. This one, again, if I arrange it so that my arms are sort of going parallel to the stole, stole the like the sleeves, stole, yeah. it covers my entire arm, which is really nice. But a little more on the Harry Potterness later, because of course now that I'm finished the stole, I have to figure out what the hell I have to knit. Well, because it's been six weeks since I was working yeah. on certain things. Yeah. So today I kind of had to go look at the things that I've been working on or had been working on until I got this crackpot idea. So now I have to figure out what the hell was I working on, and I think sometime this weekend I have to go through my big bin and see what I'm finished projects are in there. I think a lot of them are just hats that I cast on for like charity knitting or something like mm. that because I felt like doing something like that. But they have sort of piled up. What I did is I did both edgings at the same time because they're the kind that you do separately and then sew on. Right. But when I went into my interchangeable set, there were no cables in the set. They were all being used. <laughs> yeah, which means every cable including the ones that come with the set and the extras that I had ordered because I ordered tips and cables before I ordered the set, just to see what it was like. Woman, how many projects you got running around with cables? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> I know I've got a couple. There's a kid's sweater that I was doing for charity knitting. And I know I've got three, at least, in that set. It's a top-down sweater. I've got one holding each set of sleeve stitches, which are live, because right. you knit it sort of like in a big circle. And then I've got the one on the body. And then I'm sure there's one or two, again, charity hats or socks or yeah. other things. Or I've had to change cable lengths for projects. So maybe there's a project that is on one needle, but I still have the extra needle. Like there's, say, a shorter one. Right. Tucked in the bag that I just never got back to putting away. So yeah, I need to go through my stuff and figure out what I have and where the hell all my cables went and where the hell all my needle tips went. I'm sure I have doubles in certain sizes, but it feels like I'm always pillaging them from projects. I'll be like, oh, I'll just have to remember it's on this size needle. Are you sure Peanut doesn't have a stash? Yes, I'm sure my cat has not made off with them. No, she only goes after the fixed ones. Okay. Like the needle I got at a Boxing Day sale, where I had it for two weeks, had just cast on a project, and for some reason she decides to chew the cable. So in figuring out what else I was doing, there was a pair of socks I was working on before I started doing the shawl. They're the Aphrodite Socks by Jeannie Cartmel 
and that's C-A-R-T-M-E-L is how the last name is spelled. They are in Ravelry. Actually, I think they are just a Ravelry pattern. They're basically a lot of twisted stitches and a somewhat leafy It's a leafy design. diamond. Yeah, it's a leafy diamond made with a twisted stitch rib. So it's a twisted knit stitch and a pearl, twisted knit stitch and a pearl. And then at one central point, you decrease so that it pulls together in a sort of leafy shape and you have yarn overs. It looks a little bit it. like tiles or scales, but not something yeah. so static. The pattern itself has a lot of movement in it. And when you get down to the foot, it angles across the foot, which is especially nice because right now I'm at the point where I don't have to look at the pattern. <laughs> I just need to remember which stitches become plain knit stitches. And now like half of the stitches on the top of the foot are plain knit stitches. What yarn is this? This is Fiberfile. I believe I got it from the Loopy U. Mm. And it's in the color True Heart. Appropriate for Aphrodite socks. That's what I thought. Yeah, it's a really nice deep red. Yeah. Which I have had something of an addiction to the last few months. It seemed like for a long, for the longest time, the only colors I would really grow, gravitate towards would be blues, teals, especially, especially and bluey greens. Now it's like, ooh, teal, ooh, red. <laughs> But then that also explains the thing that I started tonight on my way over here. Because I love these socks, but they're a kind of complicated pattern. And after working on this shawl, I need a simple pattern. So going with the jewel tones. Wow, is that bejeweled? Yeah, this is socks that rock bejeweled. Oh, hi. In lightweight. This is what I would call crazy pants yarn. This is a riot of color. Or wacky pants yarn. Yeah. Because it's basically very high contrast colors. It's a royal blue, a bright purple, fuchsia, a green that sort of goes between emerald and teal, depending on which color is sort of bordering it. And these, I am basically doing stockinette stockinette socks. Yeah. I got away from buying a lot of the crazy pants colors for a while because it's so hard to find patterns. Yeah that really use them and I kept wanting to do pattern socks and then a few months ago I think I was working on another really complicated project and for some reason I was like I just want to knit something really plain while I'm working on this complicated project so I got out one of the few balls of wacky pants colors that I had left and I just started stocking it socks and I had stopped doing them for a while because they seemed like they were getting a little boring now it's like I can knit this like crazy and it'll be done really quickly and I can just sit on the bus and just go nit, 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 nit around and, and not even think about it. This requires no brain cells. I think I actually might start, once I finish my mitten, I might make myself a pair of crazy pants stockinette socks. Yeah. And I like wearing the crazy pants socks. With. Especially because, for one thing, it's got like four different colors in it, which means it's that many more shirts I can pair it with. And I mean, usually for work, I'm wearing like charcoal gray or yeah. black dress pants and my black Mary Janes. And I kind of like having that little riot of color on my yeah. feet. Especially because I spend so much time behind a desk. See, I would probably wear all black and, you know, roll my pants up just a little bit extra <laughs> and wear my black Mary Janes so that the, the socks are the only riot of color you'll see, but you'll see them a mile away. But yes, yeah, those are my brain vacation socks. Yeah. Shall we get into Geek Squee? Okay, this is where Kara explodes into a pile of glitter. I vacuum her up and sell her as vampire entrails. Yeah, I should explain. As you mentioned last week, we will often be podcasting on Friday nights. So this is Friday. Less than 24 hours after the midnight showing of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Part 2. Oh my god! (laughs) 
come down off the ceiling we just had it painted i had to actually go to starbucks today and just sit down and think okay what do i want to say what are my thoughts on this because before then my thoughts are basically just like oh my god that was awesome but to back up a little bit even as i said last episode I got into Harry Potter a little late. I have been a Harry Potter fan for like 10 years. And I've been to a lot of midnight showings. And I really wanted to go to the midnight showing this time. Because it's the last time I will have that experience. And so even though I knew like no one else that I knew was being in the same theater right. and could possibly give me a ride home because yeah. I don't have a car. I was like, I don't care. I will cab it home if I have to. And that would be an expensive proposition. Thankfully, Maggie lives fairly close to the theater and she said, oh, why don't you just bunk at our place for the night? So I ordered my tickets two weeks ago, I think. And even at that point, some of the major cities around us, all their showings were sold out. So yesterday I worked from 9 to 5, went home, had dinner, unpinned the shawl, grabbed the stuff I would need for waiting in line. Squeed a bit. Squeed a lot. And so I got there around 8.30 and the place was already very busy. I didn't know it at the time, but later another friend of mine said that all 10 theaters were showing Harry Potter either at 12.01 or 12.15. And they were all either sold out or very full. And a lot of people were there. There were people there who had gotten in line at noon. Wow. at one o'clock. I've read yeah. things about other cities where people actually started lining up on Wednesday. They camped out? Yes. Oh, man. But thankfully, my line wasn't that long, though it still went out the door that was about 20 feet from the door to the screening room and around the building. So we were like around the corner in a fairly dimly lit section of parking lot, not too far from some dumpsters. Aw, unglamorous. <laughs> yeah. But even still, the line was so much fun. One person in our line had brought their laptop and they were watching the, the first Deathly Hallows movie. So for a while there, I was just standing looking over over their shoulder and watching the movie. And then there were people, they had made the puppets from the Potter Puppet Pals series, which if you haven't seen this, I am linking this in the show notes because yep. you have to it's see it. a good it. idea. I showed it to Maggie before this. It's, it's like so good. Every once in a while, it's a gut laugh or a face palm. Go, hey, what the, huh? <laughs> and it, the naked Dumbledore. Yeah, if that's not enough to make you go, what the, okay, go to the show notes. So they had made the puppets from that series and they performed like four of the sketches. And the fun thing too was like half the people in line knew the words to the songs in one of the sketches. See, that's just dedication and geekdom at its finest. Yeah. And there was someone else who came along, two guys who were in costume and they had their guitars and they were playing songs from Harry and the Potters. Wow. It was awesome. There was lots of costumes there actually. And the really cool thing is of course it's a midnight showing. There's not that many young kids. Right. All the people in costume are like in their 20s and 30s, which is awesome. It's like, yay, geeks are mainstream now. Yes. Geeks are cool. There's some really amazing costumes. There was, uh, reportedly there was an Umbridge, yes. Dolores Umbridge, okay. who I didn't see, sadly, because I would have liked to see her in all her pink glory. There was a sorting hat, a giant hat that came down to this person's knees, and they were sorting people. I think they were mainly leaning into the person and whispering, what house? do you want to be in? And the person would tell them and they'd be, Gryffindor! 
And then I know they started loading in movie theaters at around 10.30 because the friend who was in another theater, she and I were texting back and forth all night. Yeah. <laughs> and so she was saying, hey, we're in at 10.30. We got into our theater at about 11.30. And like, you should have seen people like jockeying for seats. You know, they'd run and they'd be like scanning the, the seats to try and see where the optimal configuration oh, of number Lord. of seats were. It was hilarious. At that point, if you paused, you lost it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, people were coming in fairly slowly because they were very careful to check tickets at the door and stuff which was slowing people up and of course they had to hand out the 3d glasses they were only showing 3d i'm just imagining this avalanche of hogwarts students piling in mosh pit style into the (laughs) into into the theater and then oh my god when the movie started even when the lights first started going down everybody cheers yeah when they show the please turn off your cell phones here's our feature presentation everybody cheers when the warner brothers logo comes up everybody cheers so i think i should talk about the actual movie i think we should put this out there now if you don't want to hear about the movie oh yes here be spoilers yes here be spoilers i'm sure anybody listening to this podcast has probably read the harry potter books but i know there's a lot of people myself included who don't like to hear about what is actually in the movie before they actually see it Because even just learning about how they handle certain things can spoil it, can make it not as intense when you're actually watching it, because you know it's coming. Not to mention stuff that they actually change. I will probably put a note in the show notes to let you know when the spoilers end, in case you want to fast forward. So I should say before I start too, there were three things that if they had not gotten right, I would be sending howlers to the scriptwriter because there were three things that I wanted to see more than anything else. Okay. And they're the chapters The Elder Wand, The Prince's Tale, and then the Molly and Bellatrix fight, including Molly's line. Yes. So basically going into the movie, those were the three things where I was like, okay, I think I can forgive anything else as long as they don't screw these up. Oh my god, they didn't screw anything up. (laughs) Well, they didn't screw those up. There are, of course, there's stuff they left out and stuff like that, which I will get to. But oh my god, the movie was awesome. I am just, like, exploding now. She is. She's going red. Yes. It was like everybody who was in the movie, all the actors, suddenly had these amazing performances. Probably because this is the most intense stuff they have had to work with. Mm -hmm. So many characters had their BAMF moments, which, if you don't want, (laughs) not sure what that is, Google B-A-M-F. I might put the explicit tag on this, but I'm still gonna try and avoid the swears. McGonagall, she is such a BAMF in that movie. Well, she's played by Maggie Smith, who is BAMF to begin with. Oh, yeah. Maggie Smith is amazing. She's so kick-ass in the movie. (laughs) Especially for, like, an older woman. I mean, in Hollywood, they usually don't get parts, much less really awesome kick-ass parts. Yeah. When preparing for the Battle of Hogwarts. I loved that part of the story. Dueling Snape that. that is in the movie. It's awesome. And, of course, Molly. Again, another, which is kind of awesome that they have so many really strong, kick-ass female characters yes. who really step up. This is not all about a boy. Yeah. This is about an infrastructure that does include a lot of strong female personas and characters. And that's one of the really cool things that I noticed during the movie is they had a lot of characters that we hadn't really seen for the last few movies who are even just there in the background so you realize how much of a community this is that we have come to know. Yeah. Like, there's one scene where you know we can see like Madame Pomfrey or Professor Sprout or a couple of the other professors that we actually haven't seen in the last few movies because they haven't played a large part 
in the story. Right. And of course, Neville. Neville McAwesomeness. I'm so glad that they kept Neville's awesomeness intact. Because I know in some of the past movies they've had the problem where it seems like Hermione sometimes gets Ron's best lines. So there was that little niggling worry in the back of my head that they might take away a couple of things Neville does. Actually, I think they expanded it a bit because he gets to make this St. Crispin's Day speech. (laughs) And then they actually build up a certain section of the plot and make it bigger and more tense so that when Neville comes in and kicks some ass, it's that much bigger and that much more important. It's explosive. Yeah. And one of the really cool things like I just mentioned with Hermione sometimes getting Ron's really good lines Ron in this movie is really strong there's a few times where Ron has ideas Ron has plans Ron is kicking ass and he really shines and when I was talking about the actors performances one of the ones that really got me was when we see Fred after he's been killed as soon as Ron sees him oh god the, the noise that came from Rupert Grint the kind of harsh sobbing just hit me right in the chest and I started crying harder. I was already crying from that part. Oh, it's such a raw sound and it's so perfectly done. And looking at these characters, especially some of the younger actors, damn, you guys are good. (laughs) And then of course, I have to mention, because he's a big part of the other two things that they had to get right and probably one of my favorite characters with a slight caveat. Snape is one of my favorite characters with the caveat that yes, I know he's a total douchebag. Snape has issues. Yeah. Anybody who's who's read oh, yeah. the books knows that he needs a therapist <laughs> till the end of time. Oh yeah. Sometimes in various fandoms when you have characters who are similarly tortured, sometimes fans can kind of overlook their bad qualities and turn them into something they're not. Yeah. It's like, no, I know he's a dick. I know he's a bully to a lot of the students. But a lot of times what makes the quality of the character is not their assets, but their flaws. So basically the only, the other two things that I really wanted to get right as I said, were the Elder Wand and the Princess Tale. Because I knew that if they got the script right, that Alan Rickman would act the shit out of those parts. And oh my god! Especially because they're such a pivotal point of the book. They were amazing on screen. They really got the script right. They didn't keep take anything out of the Elder Wand scene, the scene where Snape dies, which... Right. That one really hit me right in the heart. Were you sobbing into your soul? Kind of. That's where I started crying. That and then the following sequence in the chapter The Prince's Tale, which is Snape's memories. Yes. I could hear lots of people around the theater during that part and the following bits where we start seeing all the people that have died. I could hear a few people sobbing very quietly, like trying to be very quiet, but they were still making those little high-pitched breaths. Yes. And there was lots of sniffling going on all around the theater. It's probably one of the few times I've been at a movie where everybody is crying because it's so the good. movie. Because it's so good. Usually it's like, you know, there's one or two people who are all like trying not to cry. No, this case everyone was sniffling and like, everyone was bawling and everybody was accepting it. Yep. Pass the tissues. Oh yeah, they should have had Kleenex boxes set up. They had a trolley come in at the beginning with popcorn and pop and stuff, and they should have had like little mini packages of Kleenex. Yes. And one thing actually I noticed during Snape's death scene, which was kind of creepy actually, one of these so minor that it's not really a spoiler things, is that in the book that takes place in the Shrieking 
Shack. In the movie, obviously to make things much more simpler, they had it take place at the Hogwarts boathouse. The boathouse, of course, has very similar architecture to Hogwarts. So it has gothic arches, windows, which is, as I mentioned last week, the center panel on my stole. Yep. Especially because it was something I had just done because, well, it looks kind of, you know, castle-y. And Snape's office has, like, arched windows and doors and things. Like, okay. I didn't realize that it was going to be that big a your thing in the movie. Your clairvoyance is coming out in your knitting. Now you need to knit some lottery numbers. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, there was a lot of moments where people were laughing, too. There's actually a lot of smaller funny moments, even when they're getting into the Battle of Hogwarts. Little moments just sort of break that tension. Because, of course, because this is the last half of the book, it's all the big, tense stuff. Right. And you kind of need those little moments to release the tension for a little while. Especially because there were certain times where you could almost feel the audience getting ready for something. Especially when Bellatrix goes after Ginny and Molly steps in and you could feel the audience just just waiting for that line. <laughs> and when Molly said, Not my daughter, you bitch! Everyone exploded in cheers. Oh, and I really have to shout out Helena Bonham Carter as one of the really amazing people in the movie. Especially because at the beginning, they have the sequence where they break into Bellatrix's vault in Gringotts, where Hermione has taken Polyjuice Potion to look like Bellatrix. Mm -hmm. So you have Helena Bonham Carter acting like Emma Watson, who's trying to act as Hermione, who's trying to act like Bellatrix. Right. And it's so amazing how she does it. It's one of the things I love in the last couple of movies where there, you see actors trying to be other actors or other characters. I wonder how often so they wonderful. get an opportunity to do that in the movie. I wouldn't think very, because no. it would have to be some sort of like body-switching plot, like the yeah. parent trap or something like that. And so I think the fact that she can do it that well is just amazing. Looking at my notes for another moment where the audience was so into it, the end of the movie with the epilogue, which I should add right now, I don't hate. I know there's a lot of people that do hate it. I don't hate it. But... One really, one really nice touch was that for the music in the epilogue, they used the music from the end of the first movie. Oh. Which was kind of tear jerky because it's like, I remember this from the first movie and now it's almost over. But as soon as the last scene started fading, of course, people started applauding and cheering. And as that was building, I could hear one person near the back yell, no! And then I heard another person in the theater yell, mischief managed, which I thought was just the perfect way to end it. At this moment, I'm really just riding the high of the, oh my god, that was awesome. So I really had to think about, was there anything that they left out that seemed wrong? And the only thing I really noticed during the movie is that, prepare yourselves, they're really is no Dumbledore backstory. They don't mention anything about Dumbledore being friends with Grindelwald or how his sister Ariana oh. died, which does affect the King's Cross scene yeah. a little bit. Because part of the really cool thing about the King's Cross scene was that Harry always knew Dumbledore as the wise, older wizard. And then during the earlier part of Deathly Hallows, Dumbledore can sometimes seem like a manipulative bastard. Yeah. Especially when you see like Snape's memory and they keep it in the movie. Yeah. Where Snape and Harry and the audience all have the realization that even keeping Harry alive so that he can go up against Voldemort and die. And the King's Cross scene, because Dumbledore confesses about this mistake that he made when he was younger, it kind of humanizes him and it makes him seem a little less the great and noble wizard and that all Harry knew. And all-powerful, all-knowing. 
Yeah. And it kind of tones down the whole, he's a manipulative bastard sort of thing. He made sacrifices for the greater good. He just didn't share that with yeah. very many, because not many would understand. Do you think that backstory might be in the director's cut? I'm hoping there's deleted scenes. Especially for one other thing that they cut out. They don't mention Tonks and Lupin's son at, at all. all until the scene where Lupin, Sirius, and Harry's parents appear from the Resurrection Stone. And then Harry says something up to Lupin about, I'm sorry, or something like that. And he mentions your son. And Lupin says, it's okay, he has other people to tell him about us, and someday he'll understand. And it's like, you didn't mention this kid at, at all. all in the rest of the movie. The closest they got, I think, was at the beginning of Deathly Hallows Part 1, when Tonks says something about, oh, and we wanted to tell you, and then she gets cut off by Mad-Eye Moody. Of course, the implication is that she was about to tell them that she was, was pregnant, pregnant. Yeah. But they never address it in the movie. But I think like that with the Dumbledore thing, and like, there were a couple scenes from The Princess Tale that they took out. They took out the stuff with Snape and Lily at Hogwarts, and the whole repercussions of when he calls her a mudblood. Right. And slightly before that, where she's kind of arguing with him about his choice of friends, that sort of thing. They took that stuff out, which kind of changes it a little bit. It does, because it's sort of explains some of his angst. And I mean, one person I know phrased it as sort of, it kind of changes it from someone who was his friend that he was in love with, to this girl he just sort of loved from afar after, mm. you know, they started Hogwarts. How did um, the young Snape look? He looked really good, actually. He actually looked like if you imagine Johnny Depp in Edward Scissorhands, but much younger. And I assume less hair. Yeah. Well, less crazy pants hair. Slightly crazy pants hair on the Snape level. Not that I have made a study of this or anything. I think really that at this point the screenwriters are just assuming that most people who are watching the movie have read the books and can just fill it in in the background. I mean, I know that there are people who go to the movies who have never read the books. But at this point they are a minority. Yeah. I think from the sheer number of people who have read the books in the population, that would be a minority. Yeah. Much less the usual thing where when a movie's made on a franchise, whether it be a TV, a book, or something like that, less people are going to go see that who have no background with that franchise. And I mean, as one writer on LiveJournal, Cleo Linda, who is well known in the Twilight circles, said on another podcast I listened to, Made of Fail, when she was talking about Deathly Hallows Part 1, she said one of the things is that she can forgive it when something is left out more than when it's done wrong. When it's not in the movie, they can't take that away from you. You know, they can't take away your knowledge of it or spoil the way you see it in your head. It's when they put something in and they get it wrong that mm. really irks. And thankfully, I can't think of anything that was in the movie that they got wrong. At least not in the sense of something that wasn't changed just because there was something else they had left out. Because they have left out tons of stuff. Creature was there, right? Creature I, was in the first. I remember some time ago I read that they were thinking of writing him out and J.K. Rowling said, well, you're going to have a bit of a hard time when you get to the last book then because he's actually really important. Yeah. And I mean, that's part of the problem with making these movies. I'm sure they kept J.K. Rowling in the loop, partly so they could make sure that the movie fit her world, as a sort of courtesy, because usually the authors of the original works have absolutely no say-so at all. There are some that are legendary for hating the movies that are based off their works. <laughs> I think with these movies, they had to kind of show stuff to her to make sure they were not going to be shooting themselves in the foot for future movies. Because, I mean, when the first movie came out, that was 2001, the only books that had been published up to 
that point, the last one was Goblet of Fire. So there's all sorts of little things that come up in Order of the Phoenix and right. Half-Blood Prince and Deathly Hallows. That if they weren't precedented, right, then the preparation and the foundation wouldn't be laid for them to work. And there are certain things in this last movie where they just bring in. Like, even in the first movie, they have the mirror, the right. little piece of mirror that Harry has that originally in the books, Sirius gives to him, but which they don't explain. They do explain a little bit in the second half of Deathly Hallows, but up until that point, they don't include it at all. And then, I mean, you have a situation like, I remember back in 2001, they said that Rowling had talked to Alan Rickman and told him certain things about Snape's character that he needed to know mm. to play the character. Wow. Which I imagine would be pretty much the entirety of The Prince's Tale, because he needs to know that backstory. Yeah. Oh, to be a fly on the wall at that conversation. Especially when they get further into the movies without having the last book or two come out. So that when you don't know what Snape's true allegiance is, well, theoretically, some of us knew all along. Oh, just... <laughs> but yeah, for things like that where they have to know what the real story is so they can play it believably. Yeah. Maybe to the point of telegraphing it a bit too much, like in Half-Blood Prince. There are certain moments where you can see it's like, okay, maybe this is leaning a little too much towards... Method acting? Not method acting, but maybe this is leaning a little too much towards giving too much away. Like, is anyone actually going to believe that Snape is evil after seeing this? But then that, I think that's mainly in, there's a couple deleted scenes where it's like, okay, if they'd kept that in the movie, it would be pretty obvious that Snape wasn't a bad guy because he was looking all angsty. Not that I've made a study of this at all. Okay. <laughs> but now that I've gotten that out of the way. <laughs> Do you feel better now? Yes. I feel somewhat purged and calmer because, of course, as soon as you see a movie like that. It goes through a very long mental digestion. Yes. And talking about it with other fans helps you <laughs> figure it out. Though, of course, at this point, it's still at the point where you can't talk about it to some people yeah. in certain places because you don't want to spoil it. But on to other non-Harry Potter geek stuff. Okay, so dee -dee 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 -dee. no more spoilers beyond this point. You are now safe. This is the point where if you have looked at the show notes and you have seen the time code that I put in, now you're rejoining us. Welcome back. And hopefully you'll go back and listen to the other stuff once you have seen the movie. And please comment and let us know your thoughts. Because, oh, I'm sure I will be able to discuss this quite a lot. Oh, dear Lord. But, of course, there was another big geeky event a week ago. The Space Shuttle, Space Shuttle Atlantis was the last one to launch. Yeah. In the spatial program. And this was an experience where people got to watch it live from all over the world. And they actually had a camera on the booster, didn't they? Yeah. The main booster. It was really awesome. It looked like one of the shots from Apollo 13. Yeah. I should mention the space shuttle program is about as old as I am. <laughs> I have never known any other sort of NASA than one where they are launching space shuttles. I've never thought of that. I've never thought of it that way. Because yeah. the first one launched in 1981. Wow. So it has just always been there. It's always been one of my dreams to see a launch live. Like, actually in Florida. Which, sadly, that's not getting crossed off the bucket list. Ah, uh, you never know. They but may, next ten years you may be having launches, you know, out of everybody's backyard. You never know. Yeah. Well, maybe not out of everyone's backyard, but I mean, and it's not that our space exploration is completely over. Now they're just they're just turning it over to companies that are doing it or doing the research Different. and development privately instead of it being government funded. And NASA is still going to be doing exploration. They still have the Jet Propulsion Lab, which is going to be sending things off to Mars to explore. But it's still kind of sad because people won't be going out there. At least not not right NASA. now. Yeah. yeah, they'll be hitching rides with the Russians. We'll do science for a ride to ISS. <laughs> 
standing next to the launch pad with their thumb out. But one of the really cool things was the day before, they had a NASA tweet-up. They had all sorts of people there. They had Elmo there from Sesame Street. Okay, I gotta know. Who lets the fuzzy little monster onto the launch pad? Come on. There's actually photos of him in front of the vehicle assembly building. It's kind of hilarious. That's kind of scary. <laughs> that he tweeted from the Sesame Street account, which I admit I follow on Twitter. I'm gonna have to look into this now. It's awesome. You'll get messages from Sesame Street characters. One! One big shuttle goes into the sky! Uh-uh-uh! Uh, uh, uh. But part of the tweet-up was NASA commissioned Bear McCreary, who is the composer for Battlestar Galactica, to write an original piece of music called Fanfare for STS-135. Premiered at the tweet-up, and I thought I read something like it'll be released in the fall, which seems kind of weird That's to me. That's not to be delayed so long. Yeah, it's like, this is the internet. You can put that shit on iTunes in 20 minutes, I'm sure. But I looked the other day, and people have posted video of the tweet-up with the music. I haven't actually had a chance to listen to it yet, because I didn't think to look for it again until Thursday when it was at work. And then I came home for an hour, and it was back to Harry Potter. So I'm sure we'll find that and get that to the show notes. But yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes to whatever video exists at the moment. If you're listening to this six months down the line, it may not still be up on the internet. And then one other geeky thing, because a lot of geeks I know really love Sherlock Holmes. Yes, myself included. <laughs> myself included. Probably because Sherlock is so analytical and... He's a geek himself, actually, when it comes to crime solving. Yeah. Because if a geek is someone who is... Obsessive, compulsive. Obsessive about one In particular thing, yeah. Sherlock is totally a geek. But posters and trailer for the next Sherlock Holmes movie starring Robert Downey Jr., Nice. Are out. Nice. Actually, they were showing the trailer in front of Harry Potter last night. There was a bit of a cheer when that came up. It's Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows, and it's coming out in December. I'll admit that I only have seen the poster, but even the posters just look delicious. Is that a gypsy in it? There's a woman with, I think with, so, with yeah. colorful looking skirts and caravans behind her and such. Yeah, it looks like she has a fairly large part in it, so I don't know who she's supposed to be. The trailer is a lot of action, not surprisingly. Yeah, that's There's fine. a lot of things going splody and, <laughs> you know, Robert Downey Jr. doing fighting, which is always awesome. Going splody. Yes, that's the scientific that's, term. Yes, that's a technical term. It looks like it's going to be interesting. And, of course, this one has Moriarty in it. Well, he was introduced in the last one. Yeah. Do you know if Moriarty is revealed in this one? Like, do they come face to face? Yeah, they show him. Really? In the trailer. Really? Yeah. Ooh. So I think Holmes and Moriarty actually come face to face. Oh, this I'm going to have to see. I don't know if they pull a Reichenbach Falls at the end, mm. or if they're building up to maybe another movie, but he's definitely in it, not just as the shadowy figure in the last movie. I am definitely going to have to see this one. Because of that, it reminded me to double check the BBC Sherlock. Speaking of delicious. Which, if you haven't seen it, is a modern retelling of the Sherlock Holmes stories. And it is really good. It is. It is actually very good. And it fits so well because Sherlock would be perfect in modern day. He'd be all over like modern forensics and the internet and just the arteries of knowledge that he'd be able to acquire. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how well it works, especially for little things like, one of the things I love about it is how they show text messages yes. and things. There's one scene
scene at the beginning of the first episode where Inspector Lestrade, or actually he's Detective Inspector Lestrade at the modern Scotland Yard, is giving a press conference as he's talking about these series of deaths that they've been investigating. And as he talks, they show the press, and when he says something, you hear everybody's cell phones go off. And you see each person look down at their phone from a viewpoint of, say, sitting in front of all these people. And next to everyone's head comes up the text, WRONG! Signed, SH. Instead of actually showing a cell phone, they'll usually show the person looking at their cell phone and then in the, in the blank space sort of next to them, it'll show the actual message. That's one of the great things about that series is you'll be able to also see Sherlock's thought patterns. Yes. Especially that's when what I was he about examines a body and to anybody looking at him, he's just glancing over things, but he's really looking at, okay, the collar is turned up. That means this. Okay, I can tell that her shoes are damp. That means yes. this. And uh, it's amazing what he notices and what so many people will bypass. Yeah, when he's looking at the body for the first time in the first episode, it's neat how they have the words just pop up on yeah. screen. And so you really get this idea of how his brain is noticing all these little things so that you can see what he notices and how fast it all goes to. Yeah. The actor who plays Sherlock, Benedict Cumberbatch, plays him so well, he makes the superiority complex sexy. He's sexy just to and begin And funny with. at times, yeah. too. Yeah. Even when he's being a total right bastard to get his way, he's doing it so well. Yes. You kind of just have to love him even when he's being, as he puts it, a high-functioning sociopath. Get it right. <laughs> It's just so endearing. Really. It is. I mean, but he, he would be hell to live with or work with, but it's one of those people that is so amusing to watch. But they only released three episodes, correct? Yeah, three 90-minute episodes, which came out last year. And what I looked up is they have, I believe, finished filming for season two of BBC's Sherlock. So it is a full season. Well, season in the British sense. Most, especially with the BBC, most shows are actually only three, six, ten okay. episodes long. This is three three more episodes. So this is something that has to be savored. Yeah. I think usually in Britain they usually call them series. Okay. Because it's not an entire season as American television viewers know it. And that is still slated to come out in autumn of 2011. Whenever so, autumn is. Yeah. So it could be, you know, anything from September to November. And then I looked up the information on the last series and it looked like PBS got the episodes about three, four months later. So they'll come out in the UK and then hopefully fairly soon after. After that, they'll come out in North America. I wonder who we can bribe in the UK. Because I cannot wait to see them. Especially because from little things that have leaked, yeah. they're doing three of my favorite stories. Yes. I, I've heard about that. And I cannot wait. And okay. an extra geeky thing, the two stars of BBC's Sherlock, Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman, who plays Dr. Watson, who is amazing as Watson. I love his Watson. I know we've been going on about Sherlock, but his Watson is so good and so grounding. They're actually both in The Hobbit. I was saying earlier, this makes it for a much shorter six degrees of geekdom yep. for a lot of people. From what I heard, Benedict is the voice of Smog, the dragon. Oh, I cannot wait to hear that. And that is a regal superiority that I'm just waiting to hear booming out. Yeah, Martin Freeman is playing Bilbo Baggins. Really? And there are pictures already online from filming. He looks so natural in the Hobbit costume. It's crazy. And of course, it's kind of awesome seeing the set pictures because it's Bag End again. It's Hobbiton all over again? Yep, we have it. 
that. The Hobbit is really all of the geeks after the Lord of the Rings trilogy looking at Peter Jackson and saying, Well done! Do it again! We have more, please. Lisa, I want some more. And Peter Jackson going, Well, well, I don't... Okay. Well, I don't know. Looks at his bank account. Sure, what the heck. And how much he made off the Lord of the Rings movies. Okay, and then to move on to our cravings, covets, and crushes for this week. We're going to explore another Canadian yarn company. And I believe they're located in Quebec, correct? Yeah. This would be Tannis Fiber Arts, and I'm sure many people are familiar with Tannis by now. Tannis is very well known for her vivid colors. That's T-A-N-I-S-F-I-B-E-R-A-R-T-S. Right. Dot com. And she's actually in Montreal. But also one of the reasons we wanted to mention her is because in one of her recent blogs, she has mentioned that she will be taking some colorways off of the shelf. Yeah, she's completely discontinuing them, so it doesn't look like she's going to be making them at all anymore. So we figured we should get this out now and let people have an opportunity to see those colors in case they wanted them. The colors that are being discontinued are all of her multicolors and the ultraviolet, amber, blueberry, and moss. So if any of those sound like your favorite colors, you might want to go head up to Tannis and find out if they still have any left. Well, she says they're going to be available until August 15th. Okay. And she's another one of the indie yarn dyers that, if you go to her website, she lists all the colorways that she does. You click on it, and then you can click on the kind of yarn you want, and then you order that. It's sort of like Blue Moon Fiber Arts, where if they don't have it in stock, they will dye it for you, which that's, is kind of nice. That's such a happy thought. Which is kind of a nice thing, because then you know that if you want that color, yeah. as long as they're still offering it, you can get it. It's not the Etsy thing, which I fell down with this <laughs> week and which will be featured on a future one i was gonna ask but, so how do, how hard did you fall uh two skeins one of which i have a specific pattern already in mind for see then it doesn't count but that will be a future episode okay where i confess my fall down but it's kind of nice sometimes to have a mix of indie dyers where some of them have that stock that they can just die up anytime so that you don't have that but if i don't get it now i might never be able to get it again or if i don't buy it now and i wait three days someone else might have bought it as a side note i want to give a big shout out to everybody in London this weekend where the Knit Nation is going on. Oh, we I are extremely envious of you. We both shake our fists in your direction and we also send you much love and hugs from across the pond. You are considerably envied right now. Which is a nice change because I know from listening to certain British podcasters, up until fairly recently they didn't have a lot of events like that. So they would hear about Stitches East or Rhinebeck or Maryland Sheep and Wool or all these other things that go on mainly in the States and they didn't have anything on the same scale on their side of the pond. Right. So really I can't begrudge them that. No, not at all. Keep calm and knit on. Keep calm, keep calm and knit on. And, and, tell, and tell Queen Liz hi. Yes, because I'm sure she'll be fighting over the wool myself like everybody else. <laughs> Elbowing people out of the way. Move over! There's still another skein in there that I want. I think this has been a substantially harried podcast, but I think that it was a special occasion and it was due. Obviously, we're probably not going to spend quite that much time on one thing. For, for special occasions, yes, but this was a special occasion. This only comes around, well, once every... Once in a blue moon. Yeah. Harry Potter specifically, it ain't going to come around again. Okay. <laughs> No, see, I have I have chocolate ice cream in the freezer specifically for this. <sighs> Quick, I need to, to banish the Dementors. Bring me chocolate. But hey, you guys are all geeks. You know what it's like. <laughs> <laughs>
What was that we were saying? When you obsess about something, and especially when you evangelize about it, when you want to say everything about it. Even to the people on the streets whom you don't know and who probably don't care, but you must educate them and you must illuminate their lives. Or who are sitting on the bus with you and are wondering why your eyes are filling with tears as you listen to your iPod, like I had on the way here. Because I was, I downloaded the soundtracks to the two Deathly Hallows movies. See, you did And I was listening to... You did to yourself. You should have given yourself 48 hours at least. Well, see, the problem is mom wants to go see the movie. Oh, God. So we're probably going to go see it on Sunday. Oh, God. When I walked in the door at, like, around noon today, if she had said, do you want to go see the Harry Potter movie, I would have had the keys in my hand and be out the door before she finished saying it, because I want to see it again. But I think we should wrap up. Yeah. Before I keep going on about Harry, (laughs) Harry, Harry. Send us, if you have... Or Snape, Snape, Snape. Sever Snape. Snape, Snape. Severus Snape. Okay, so anyways, if you went to one of the midnight showings or if you had an experience going to see the last movie, we want to hear about it. Or if you just want to squeal about it or rant about it. Ranting is perfectly fine. And yet again, if you've made a costume for it or if you have really good pictures of someone else's costumes that you maybe took at a showing, please link them or post them in the comments because we want to see them. We had someone post in the last episode in the comments a Molly Weasley outfit that, that she made. Was that so was awesome. Awesome. The, the apron even had uh, custom pockets for her wooden spoon and her wand. That is so cool. That is an awesome attention to, to detail. Well done. Extra points for your house. I even have a couple of pictures of Karen finishing the stole at the bookstore function, the Harry Potter event that happened. <laughs> Yes, madly trying to sew on the edging. And I'll hopefully have pictures of the stole. Yes, people will have to see that in its completion. So, okay, everybody, it is night-night time. The removal requirement needs to be vacuumed and the house elves are coming in. And they can get crabby when we're in here too long messing up the place. So, knit on, enjoy yourselves, geek out, behave or don't. Just let us know about it. Especially if it's don't. Good night, guys. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. You can find show notes at knit1geek2.mtpockets.org. That's K-N-I-T 1 G-E-E-K 2 dot M-T dash P-O-C-K-E-T-S dot O-R-G. Or you can email us at knit1geek2 at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.